watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy and I am sick. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Larte and I am a perfect picture of health. <laughs> Not Today, for long. Yeah, I know. Uh, today we're going to take a look at four of the new releases, uh, Fences, Hidden Figures, Silence, and Passengers. And we're also going to introduce a new segment called Spoil That Shit, where we spoil the end of a shitty movie. And if you don't want to hear the ending, uh, you can just go ahead and stop listening at that point. We won't notice. It'll be the very end of the episode. Yeah. It's going to be Passengers. Yeah. We'll just go ahead and say that right now. Yeah. Um, and we're going to rate all of these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Uh, Jason. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I should ask you what's up with you, or how are you, or what are you? Oh, God. I'm, I am I am sick, guys. Um, and I have diagnosed myself with pneumonia. I don't know how serious it is. I'm just hoping that whatever it is, it clears by the time that I have to fly across the goddamn country on Saturday morning to see my family for Christmas. Um, so that's great. Uh, it's been going on for a few days now, but I'm still going to soldier through because these are all major movies we're talking about this really week. Really big ones. So I am rallying because I'm a, prof- I'm a professional and I'm hoping that I'm going to have some kind of like Celine Dion recording my heart will go on type, you know, magical moment because, you know, she famously had a cold when she recorded that song. I did not know that. Um, when you say famously. I say, should I say fagously? Yes. <laughs> um, as she fagously was sick when she recorded that song. And um, so I feel like I too might have my Oscar moment today sitting here um, as Rebecca sits across from me behind several layers of mosquito netting. Mm-hmm. And I should point out that he is wearing nothing but seven scarves. And it's surrounded by hot toddies. He's also in repose yes, while we record. Yes, it's a. Uh, I mean, it's like I'm kind of doing a Salome act, like while we're recording. <laughs> um, here comes number six. <laughs> <laughs> mm, to the floor it goes. I hope there are so many more. Um, Rebecca, what's up? With what's you? up with me? I, right now, I'm just trying to escape um, your sickness mm-hmm. um, and getting ready for um, the holiday break. Um, Trying to catch up on some movies I haven't seen this year. Mm. What's a movie that you missed this year that you wish you would have seen? Well, you know, it's funny. I was, um, today I was trying to come up with my list of honorable mentions. And um, there were two movies on it that um, that I really liked that we didn't get to review on the show. Mm, mm. Um, and they're both comedies. They're both studio comedies. Um, but, you know, I feel like this is a time when we all need some levity. Sure. Um, so, and those were um, Popstar. Oh, yeah. And Bad Moms. Oh, yeah, that was good? Yeah, huh. yeah. It's actually like, if for no other reason, you just have to see it for Catherine Hahn. Okay. Catherine Hahn gives like a Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids level supporting comedic performance in Bad oh, Moms. Oh, wow. Um, she is so outstanding. So, um, yeah, so I feel like, I feel remiss that we didn't get to put the the mighty, mighty weight of the binge behind those two, <laughs> those two poor studio comedies um, when they came out. Um, but aside from that, um, and there's some movies that just haven't screened for us yet, like Patriot's Day and Live by Night. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, I kind of feel like I've seen everything. I've seen too many things. <laughs> what about, I mean, is there a number one on your list that you're like, oh, I really need to get around to watching that? Um, I would say Denial is mm. probably at the top of my list yes. um, as um, a Rachel Weisz fan. Um, Popstar is also at the top of my list. You have been singing its praises. Mm. Uh, that's a pun because it's a, mo- a, mo- a song about mo- a movie about songs. 
I'm just trying to make him laugh so he coughs all over this, all over me. It really, really hurts when I laugh. It would my, be like it's like knives in my chest. Worst time to be sick because you don't even get to like take off of work a sick day. Thank you because for pointing that out. You have to work sick. I'll, I'll try to treasure the memory of you saying it's a mo 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 movie about <laughs> songs in my in my darker moments. <laughs> Please do. I hope that lifts you up. <laughs> In your time of... This is disgusting. <laughs> uh, let's get to the movies so we can <coughs> preserve what we have left of Jason. Uh, he's withering away I'm as I'm living speak. it all on the floor this time, guys. It's all on the Wait, stage. Don't slip. <laughs> Quite literally. I, I have evacuated my bowels effective five seconds ago. <laughs> so we... Just uh, a cough. We've got a ticking clock going on, guys. <laughs> uh, the first movie we're going to take a look at uh, is Fences. A 1950s African-American father struggles with race and opportunity in the United States while trying to raise a family and coming to terms with the events of his life. Now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. So Jason and I had the opportunity uh, to see this movie at um, a special event. Uh, Fences, the play, the Tony Award winning play, had premiered at San Francisco's current theater um, in what, like 1983, 1984 maybe? Somewhere around there. And um, they had recently closed the current for renovations and it reopened. Um, last week, and they uh, premiered this movie, um, and Denzel Washington was there, and a lot of the supporting cast. Um, so we saw it in, in a company of people who were very enthusiastic about either the theater, theater in general, August Wilson, the playwright, or mm-hmm. uh, the play Fences. Right. So it was a it was a very unique opportunity. It was very very nice, very special. Yes, um, the kind of event that you feel like if you walk out of this event still not liking the movie. You're just not going to like the movie. That's true. And that is true for you? Um, yes. Is it true for you? Um, I have been on the fence. <laughs> oh, God damn See, you. that's funny because it's a movie about fences. <laughs> sometimes um, they keep people in. But and sometimes, sometimes they keep people out. That, that's true. That line is actually in the movie. So let that be um, the little mm. premonition of, of how kind of on the nose it is. Yeah. Um, but there are so many things that are stand out about this movie, one. And two, I feel like this is one of those movies where I sort of question, like, is it, is it, is for, it for me? Us? Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a question you're supposed to ask yourself. <sighs> um, okay. Well, so that was my second time seeing the film. Um, I had seen it once earlier at a press screening um, for um, Critic Circle Consideration qualifying deadline and um and i think that so i was not familiar super familiar with fences before this um i hadn't read the play i hadn't seen it performed and um and i think my main thing i started to notice right away in the film was that the dialogue was having a a hell of a time translating to the screen Mm. because there is a lot of it you're basically when you are signing up to watch this movie you're signing up to watch about an hour and 40 minutes of solid denzel monologuing Yes, absolutely. And um, and he just goes and goes and goes and goes in this movie. And it gets to the point where, like, someone will just say some innocuous thing, like, oh, hey, Pop, when are we going to fix the roof? And he's like, let me tell you about that roof. And you're like, no. Jason's like, don't. Please don't tell, tell me about, me the, about the roof. I don't need to hear the roof story. I mean, I, I do feel like that is the character, though. 
Sure, sure. Um, that doesn't make it uh, an especially like pleasing experience. And I think that they <laughs> that they kind of they kind of hit that part of the character into the fucking ground. Yeah. And I can see how in in the art of theater in the format of theater, that's how you communicate things like that. But in mm-hmm. film, it's not cinematic. Which brings us to I think the the biggest point you made in the movie that I definitely agree with is that it's not a great adaptation of a play to film. Right. This is basically just a filmed play. Yeah. Um, they don't, I know that this is apparently something you're not supposed to talk about, um, but they didn't, they don't really open it up, mm. um, which is something that the, the moderator of the Q&A asked Denzel about. And, um, she was like, well, you know, people talk about opening it up and I don't know what that's supposed to mean. He's like, I don't know either. And, and that's um, clear. Right. <laughs> yes, it is very clear. That's clear, Mr. Washington. I mean, if, it feels like, uh, in, from what he had said in, in the interview, um, a lot of it has to do with maybe his reservations on making any adjustments to the original material. Yes, and this is this leads us into a key part of this discussion, I think, which is the reverence um, that Denzel and everybody involved has for August Wilson's original play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I will just say that based on this play, I was shocked to get out of the movie and to look up when it was written and to find out that it was written in the 1980s. Mm, yes. Because it has such a lack of like modernity and self-awareness to it as a social play. It feels like it could have been written in the 40s, in the 50s, mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. early 60s. Um, and like it's the kind of thing that like, you know, like a Raisin in the Sun era type play that would then kind of have spawn imitators that are more clever or more self-aware with how they kind of approach this kind of subject. Because this film doesn't really have that so much. Mm-hmm. Like, it just hits so many tropes on the head. And I guess so, I just don't understand the reverence for the material, which, I mean, is why, I guess, uh, why they didn't ask me to make the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was checking my email. I didn't see any offers come through. But um, I just don't think it's a great place. And henceforth, I don't think it makes a great movie. <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess I don't know where this play fits in terms of, like, the canon of, like, black american playwrights Mm -hmm. and if this is like you know uh in the same category as raisin in the sun even though it was written 30 or 35 years after that um maybe that's a different idea i'm i'm not knowledgeable enough to to say having a lot of dialogue is one thing And, and i do think that of all people denzel washington makes that amount of dialogue interesting it also just sounds like the way he talks because he tends to kind of ramble himself um but uh, it's it doesn't look like a movie. Um, when there are transition between scenes, it's as though you were seated on stage where things kind of just like fade to black and then it's something else. And like sort of characters are like sitting there by themselves. And it doesn't really... What's the point of doing it as a movie if you're not going to use the the benefit of of angle? Not that it, not like yeah. it needs to be like the Star Wars of like no. you know Broadway, but, but something. I mean, something. Like, they throw a montage in there uh, in the middle, um, mm-hmm. and um, and then they have like Denzel talk to the Q and A about like how they during one scene are able to cut to um, Troy's eldest son sitting in the kitchen listening, which is something that I guess you and you still could have had that. You could do that. You could do that. I played. Yeah, the stage. Um, but one of the worst things to me is um, the fact that so many of his co-stars are forced to sit there and make actor listening face <laughs> yeah. while he performs yeah. all these monologues. Um, because the thing about, yeah, so Troy Maxson is the character Denzel plays. Mm-hmm. And he is, yeah, I mean, he's like a storyteller. Um, he is always kind of, you know, just he's tells tall tales. And, um, and it, we're meant to find this endearing. A bit of a drunk. A bit of a, yeah. Which increasingly, opens people in, up. Increasingly more and more of a drunk mm-hmm. as the story progresses. 
And um, and so like some of the finest actors of the generation, like Viola Davis and Stephen McKinley Henderson, are just have to force to stand there and make actor listening face while Denzel just keeps going in all these like monologues. I have no idea what that face looks like. <laughs> I know it when I see it. <laughs> and um, you know, and, and to your point, Denzel does. I mean, he does so much heavy lifting with all the dialogue in this film. And never for a second is he anything other than completely in control of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's still kind of like, okay, great. But also the character sucks. So I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, the the character does suck. Yes. I believe, as I said, after we watched it at the premiere, he is a garbage man who is also a garbage man. So Troy is, um, yeah, so the character is a garbage man, and um, and he is uh, also a dumpster fire of a person. And the movie, one of the things that also loses me, because I think you know a lot of things can be redeemed in the final act of a film in terms of the movie itself. But this movie does the reverse. Rather than trying to redeem itself, it tries to redeem the protagonist. Yeah. Um, and which is just a, a wrong-headed idea. Um, because the protagonist is terrible. Yeah, the third act there and the way it treats the main character is, is pretty strange yeah. and hard to swallow. Which just makes me think it has to be a personal story for August Wilson he's telling. Like, I don't know if it's like it was about his father and he was like, he was like, I need to like find some way to like find peace with this complicated man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I need to find some way to like write him this this kind of beatific ending. I don't know. Um, literally. <laughs> beatific quite ending. literally. The heavens open. The heavens open. Um, there is a bugle um, that is played. Like, let's just talk about that character for a minute. That need, that's that's there are two big things we need to talk about. Ooh. One is that character, and yes. one is Viola Davis. So let's yes. start there. Okay, so Troy has a brother um, who is played by. I always thought it was pronounced Michael T, but they said they kept saying Michael T. Mm-hmm. They said Michael T. Yeah, yeah Michael T. Williamson, mm-hmm. um, alias um, Bubba from Forrest Gump of Bubba Gump Shrimp of Bubba Co. Gump Shrimp fame. Um. Um, he plays Troy's brother, who um, had an, who was injured in the war, and who now is mentally handicapped in a very animated manner, and who is prone to sort of dancing up and down the street with a bugle slung over his shoulder, singing songs about Saint Peter and the judgment to come. Yeah. Now. When I talk about heavy-handed theatrical tropes, <laughs> I feel like I don't need to say anything further than just the description I've given you, um, which is pretty much on the nose what you get with this character. Um, what's his name? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, it it it's jarring uh, watching this performance. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. And to watch Michael T was at the um, Q and A. Yeah, and this he is was, hard. This is the hardest part about it. And he was like, "That's right, I'm a master." Like, but yeah, they had asked him if he had like worked with any people that had similar disabilities or mm-hmm. had done how he had done the research for this kind of role, and he was just like, "No, I just acted." So it's basically what he thinks someone who like is developmentally disabled or yeah. injured yeah. Uh, would act like, which is the wrong answer. Oof, is it ever the wrong answer? And, you know, because and, and they, I guess they were setting him up by being like, oh, this could have gone so bad so easily. And it's like, well, yeah, it, it did. It did go pretty bad. <laughs> it did go very bad. And now we found out that it did go bad easily because you didn't even try. Right. Um, you know, and he had a very kind of 
overly confident um, attitude about his performance mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. during this Q&A. It is embarrassing to watch. It's hard to swallow. It feels so antiquated. Oof, um, antiquated is the word. And it's a huge part of the movie. Like, oh my God. This character, massive. the scenes go on mm-hmm. for a long time. And, I'm, you know, there's, there's uh, some family history about, like, his injury and what that means to Troy, the main mm-hmm. character, what that means for his life and the decisions he's made and how he feels about himself. So, like, there's, it's an important character to have in the story. Yeah. But for what he actually offers in terms of acting screen time, there is way too much of it for just kind of <sighs> repeating the same... You know, we kind of understand what the issue is, but he's he's in multiple scenes for long periods of time that just make it yeah. really awkward. And at some points, like, the audience responded um, as though it was humor, which yeah. it seemed like it was set up to... To be humorous. Which is... Which is also... In egregiously poor taste. If yes. that was the intention of the playwright. Yes. That this would be like some comic relief. Right. He does pop up at extremely inopportune times. Yes. Throughout yes. the film. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems like it's like a... Yeah. Oy. Oy, 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 mi- oy, oy, minstrelly oy. type thing? Yeah, kind of minstrelly. Right? Um, and you know, and and it's and it's and then they get, he get a, he gets a big applause line right at the very end. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty rough. That was that was that was oh god, it's tough to watch that performance. But on the other hand, yes, we have Viola Davis. We do have Viola Davis, who is far and away the heart and soul of this entire film. Mm-hmm. Um, she is able to string every non cinematic piece of it together into a through line that is her performance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like however distracted and bogged down you might get by how non-cinematic the rest of it is and how stagey it is and how hackneyed some of the dialogue and symbolism is, Viola is just there giving it every ounce of her heart and soul and and really giving you this entire narrative of this woman's life. And we she starts and ends the film in completely different places mm-hmm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And she gives you every bit of shading of this woman's transition through her life. And, you know, and she should be able to do that because she, like Denzel, played this role on Broadway for right. quite some time and won a Tony for it. Um, you know, but uh, but she transitions beautifully um, to screen acting this performance. And, um, you know, what, what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, as you sort of mentioned, we were kind of going through the trailer pick. Like there is a she has a scene that is so heart-wrenching and so powerful that even having seen the movie and now just listening to the trailer we were kind of like struck again by mm-hmm. it it's really a standout performance in this yeah. movie uh in, in what is kind of a cluttered movie of performances i it far and away shines yeah i would go so far as to say that it is the only reason to watch this movie uh, i would say it is the main reason I, I think that there's something around the story um in terms of coming to grips with what your race means in in so far as like how much you um hold yourself personally responsible for the things mm-hmm. you've done uh how that kind of ends up how you're treated turns into respectability politics and and what that means when you've kind of been around in the world and see how it treats you and then how you represent that to someone who's younger and hasn't yet quite faced that and, and has uh dreams and possibilities mm-hmm. um and that sort of clash uh so i think there, there's a, a social message here well, that's that is a good takeaway um, I think there's like a generational message. I think that it's sort of almost like a history lesson. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything that we can learn from Troy and apply to like the modern world. Mm, um, I mean, I feel like because, the, that's not one generation. Like the, well, those attitudes are slow, slow coming and slow changing. Sure, sure. Um, but I guess I mean in particular for like the black experience in America for like when Troy was born, 
how many years out from slavery we were, what was happening when he was coming up, the fact that here he is at this point in his life and he's illiterate. You know, like I think you could translate that to the current immigrant experience. Like there, I don't think it's like a a one-time thing that is no longer relevant. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I but I guess I mean talking about this movie specifically as a film about the black experience, which it kind of is loudly proclaiming itself to be, Mm and which the play has been celebrated as. I think it's kind of a historical piece um, that points us to like a certain generation of Black Americans, um, and kind of like this, 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 just the itch, the the culture clash between his generation and his son's generation as represented by he has um one son from a previous relationship and then one son with viola davis and that son still lives with them and he wants to be a football player and troy kind of has it in his head that because things didn't work out a certain way for him that things will be just as hard for his son his son just needs to like buckle down and do what he says and his son's trying to make him understand that the world is changing Mm -hmm. but troy won't hear it and troy thinks he knows best and so he just sabotages his son at every turn um, to make sure that he just does what Troy thinks he should be doing with his life. I mean, I think you can find you find that message even like in between the world and me. Like uh, people our generation, um, you know, we're like in our thirties. You know, your parents' age that still have this. These are the things that you aren't actually supposed to do, even though they seem like they're possible for you, because this is not how the world's going to treat you, and all these things aren't an option. And though it's kind of. I don't know, funny to like look at this movie and, and have this big conflict be that this kid wants to play football and him saying that like they don't like blacks in football is sort of like an interesting thing to look at now um, in that particular example. Um, I think that the message is still really relevant. And okay. I think that that pivotal generation that he's from, uh, even if it is about like one one piece, um, is, is, is a big one. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of a standalone generation that, right. that's a little separated from slavery, but still not at all where right. we are now which is still a terrible place to be right um, yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm more down with that because i feel like there are a million different ways to tell stories that are relevant in the way that you're trying to paint it as being relevant today that do a better job of it than this does i think it's more interesting as a historical piece um that speaks probably very eloquently to a certain generation of black americans growing up in places like pittsburgh which is where this mm-hmm, takes place mm-hmm. where it was filmed on the hill oh as uh, as someone from pittsburgh thoughts yes um I recognized it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yep, that looks like Pittsburgh. Um, but as we talked about, it's super staging. So we don't yeah. really see much of Pittsburgh. Um, but it is there. Such a shame. And, Not um, enough Pittsburgh in this movie. And um, and as, um, but it sounds like Denzel was just a delight to have in town. He was the anti-Sienna Miller, who will always be remembered as the worst filming guest Pittsburgh ever had. Uh, what's that story? Um, she did an interview with Rolling Stone while she was there shooting the Mysteries of Pittsburgh. And she referred to it as Schittsburg. <laughs> And they printed it, and um, and then oh, no. the town basically burned an effigy of her. Oh no! And she has been forbidden to ever return. Um, but Denzel, according to this Q and A, actually went literally door to door through the entire neighborhood, introducing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, which hopefully there was some warning he was going to do because they're <laughs> <laughs> very startled. That would be very hard to very startled uh... Pittsburghers. Uh, hopefully he also didn't do it during game time because that oh, would, right. have, that would have been met with more than one gun. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, so Viola is being run as best supporting actress do we think this is a supporting performance no okay do we think this is unambiguously a leading performance yes okay yes you um you know i was comparing it to last year i was like okay Mm. i think it's less of a lead performance than rooney mara and carol and less of a lead performance than alicia vikander the danish girl and those are both run as supporting that's a good point that's a good point um in the sense that like she doesn't really have much Minus the epilogue, she doesn't really have anything that happens in this that is not directly related to her husband. Yeah. She doesn't really have much going on on her own. 
And in a lot of the scenes, like she has one or two, she's a handful of just like enormous firecracker scenes. But a lot of the times she's just kind of in the kitchen in the background. That's true. Or she'll come out and she'll be like, you boys want anything to eat? And then she just goes back in. Um, So I don't think it's as egregious as last year's category of fraud cases where Rooney Mara was quite literally the lead of Carol. Yeah. She was the protagonist. And um, and Alicia Vikander was very much the co-lead of Danish Girl. She was definitely the Danish Girl. She was was the Danish Girl. Oh, man. Uh, What are you giving this one? Um, I'm going to give it a consumed moderation. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, I watching it the second time was a little bit less punishing than the first time just because like, I knew what to expect. And, but I still, there were just scenes where I just felt like I was having a hard time even breathing with all like the constant dialogue, um, just pouring forth from Denzel. And I think it'd be one thing if it was like, if I was like, oh, this dialogue is so beautiful, but I didn't think it was beautiful. And if I was like, oh, this character is so interesting, but I didn't think he was interesting. He was just an asshole. <laughs> and so I was like, why am I going to spend my time on this? And I really wish that Viola was less good in it because then it would be a lot easier to just be like, okay, like no recommendation for me. Um, but, you know, and I appreciate that you're kind of trying to put some, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt and say like, okay, this is maybe not for us. Um, and, you know, like there's a broader, um, you know, context where this could make more sense. Um, but for me, it's a consumed moderation. I'm going to go with a binge minus, somewhere between a binge minus consume plus. Um, I th- I felt like it was an enjoyable way to spend my time. Uh, I definitely wasn't like crawling at my seat to get out. I I felt the flood of the dialogue, but it it felt enjoyable. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's important, maybe for reasons we don't quite grasp fully. Uh, but I think that if you are looking for a movie to see with your family this holiday season, it's a great it's are, a great choice. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? I with mean, that? compared to Passengers. Oh, what about Hidden Figures? <laughs> the movie we're about to talk about. I mean, that's a great one too. People don't see one movie in the holidays. Fences with your family? Are you really serious about that? Why not? It's not a... Oh, my God. I can't even imagine watching the movie with your family. Why not? Because, A, it's a huge fucking downer, first of all. Uh, And, B, it's... It's just... Okay, don't take the kids. Don't take the kids. It's not a kid's movie. Maybe our families are different. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I cannot imagine, like, you know, like, oh, let's see, we're going to see either Moana or um, Fences. (laughs) I mean, I guess it depends on your family. Oh I mean, if God. you're an adult child and you're going with your parents and your grandparents, I think it might be interesting. I mean, if I you guess, have like a bunch of kid cousins, it is not the movie. To I see. mean, I guess if you have like racist parents and grandparents who don't believe Black Lives Matter, then you're like, maybe, we're going to a double head. Yeah, take them it's to fences. It's hidden figures and fences. Exactly. Order exactly. some popcorn and buckle exactly. in. Um, it, it comes out Christmas Day? Yes. It comes out Christmas Day. Uh, and it's rated PG-13 for some thematic elements, language, and some suggestive, suggestive references. And that brings us to, as we have been already speaking about, apparently the movie you must go see this Christmas, our pick of the week, which is Hidden Figures. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick of the week. A team of African-American women provide NASA with important mathematical data needed to launch the program's first successful space missions. There's no protocol for women attending. There's no protocol for a man circling the Earth either, sir. Every time we have a chance to get ahead, they move the finish line. Every time. We all get there together, we don't get there at all. Yeah, it's good to know uh, NASA hadn't given up on good old-fashioned brain power. ask you if you were a white male would you wish to be an engineer i wouldn't have to i'd already be one pick of the week pick of the week 
I should say not not with like not with a bullet, but I but looking at the at the movies that we have before us this week and mm-hmm. ha- and having mm-hmm. not seen Passengers, guys, I I'm the one I'm the guilty one this week. I had not seen one of her movies. I had not seen Passengers, but I will plead that it's because I was sick. That is true. Believe me, I wanted to go because I know Chris Pratt shows his ass. He and, does, and it it is it killed me to have to turn it down. Let, let that be a testament to just how sick I am, because however sick I might be, I'm also very thirsty. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Hidden Figures, I felt like should be our pick of the week because I feel like uh, just overall, it's a movie that I'd be the happiest to like tell people that they should watch. Sure, yeah, because I think it it far and away most guarantees a satisfying viewing experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. it's feel good but it's not saturated about it Mm -hmm. i I feel like a lot of the feel goodness is kind of it just comes from the spirit of the performances it comes from pharrell's original songs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um and it's an inspiring true story that the world should have and that we've gone too long without having um so i think that even though it does for sure veer a little too into uplifting upworthy worthy territory (laughs) for me (laughs) Um, I think all in all, it is the film that I, yeah, I, cause I feel like it is such an obvious, like, yeah, take this, take your family to see this on Christmas. Like, I think it, it like literally guarantees a good time for everybody. Yes. I, it, to me, this feels like a young adult movie, hmm. um, which is fine. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to consume. Yes. Uh, it's very entertaining. It's not challenging. It's funny. It's brightly colored. Um. Literally could not be more different from the next movie we're going to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is a rosé, and that is like a fernet, if <laughs> sure. you will. Yeah, I will. This is a bright rosé. I mean, there's nothing not to like about it. It's funny. It's serious. The acting on all fronts is, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is threaded together in a, if, if not predictable, but very um, yeah. non-confrontational way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very it's very conventional. It's very conventional. Mm-hmm. It definitely kind of goes along uh, the way you expect it to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I've, I've heard that I guess they might kind of play up a little bit more that the other three of them were all very close friends more than they were in real life, mm. just for the sake of the narrative. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, but at the same time, I don't doubt that like there was still a sense of sisterhood among the, uh, African-American women who were working at NASA at that mm-hmm. time. And one of the things I love most about this movie is that. It really depicts the racism in a more day-to-day mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, institutional mm-hmm. way rather than um, in acts of overt violence. Mm-hmm. Like there's no clan in this movie. There's no bricks through windows. There's no physical attacks. Right. Uh, it's, it's it's subtle, and but it's, uh, you know, it's like the thousand paper cuts. Yeah, and the white characters keep saying things like, that's just the way it is. Or it's not because of me. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's realistic in the sense of, like, this is how white people think. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, like, whenever they're forced to sort of question their role in things, like, well, I didn't make it that way. Or like, well, I, I was never a slave owner. Well, I don't control who gets hired for what. You know, by just not by just not questioning it, and right. so the white characters in this film, um, those sort of antagonists are um, are Jim Parsons and Kirsten Dunst. To which Jason says, "Bazinga!" The whole movie, <laughs> which never stopped being funny. Jim Parsons, unfortunately, has um, a face uh, that is only in what is that show? Thirty Rock from the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Thirty Rock from the Sun. <laughs> you know what I mean. That one. Both superior shows to the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) 
Uh, it's hard to see him outside of the context of that. Yeah, um, he just sits there with that fade look on his face, and he's just like bazinga. And he just like <laughs> doesn't. Does, he's not down with all this race mixing. Bazinga. <laughs> um, and Kirsten Dunst, when she first came on came onto the screen, <laughs> your reaction was uh, of 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 slight mortified horror. I mean, it's like looking into a, a mirror of how old we've all become. But not in like a bad way. It's I mean, it, it, you see other actors and actresses that you know you grew up with and consider yourself to be around the same age. And she um, is she is younger than me. She's younger than me. Yes. And it's sometimes it's hard, like, when you don't see them for a while, you're like, oh, we all got older. Right. Yes. And I will say that you know it is not prop, because she's a woman. Props to Kiki that she's keeping it real. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I. But yeah, the first time she walked onto the screen in this movie. I thought that I did not realize it was her. I thought it was an actress at least 10 years her elder. Uh, I was surprised. Um, but with that said, I love her and I love seeing her. And mm-hmm. she's so good cool oh, in this yeah, movie. She's and amazing. Probably far and away, in my opinion, the best scene in this movie is between her and Octavia Spencer in, in the, the bathroom. bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yes, there's some foot tapping going on between them in the stalls. <laughs> uh, no, they have a fantastic scene uh, together. And, uh, and I'm sure that, like, I wonder what you think when you're an actor getting offered that kind of role like hey you want to play racist villain in, in like uplifting <laughs> historical movie um you're like work okay sure yeah um but uh but yeah so she's very good and um which you know i guess can lead us into our, our three leading ladies taraji b henson janelle monet and octavia spencer what a treat quite a trio they make uh janelle monet also was in moonlight this year mm-hmm. um knocking out, was she in movies which, before this year which i believe whenever when you were looking at her okay. we the movie and you were like what else was she in this year we had just seen last week yes that one she's phenomenal in both yes yes um i can't i don't think she's done much acting before this this is basically her she's she's chastaining this year her and yeah her and as, as well as another co-star of this film mayor shala ali yes that's who's that's who ch- who's chastaining yes that's the true chastain this year is mayor shala ali and he is just oof debonair as can be in this movie oh my goodness yeah he's fantastic oof so handsome. Um, <laughs> you have him. I have Janelle Monet. Yes. Um, I mean, Janelle Monet is, of course, painfully gorgeous. Um, and when you put her in, like, 60s attire in this movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, it does the job. Um, Octavia Spencer has somehow emerged as the presumptive Oscar favorite for this movie. Over Taraji B. Henson? Um, well, for the Best Supporting Actress category. Oh, gotcha. Yes, oh, okay. Uh, Taraji hasn't really gotten any Oscar buzz going for this. Yeah. Um, but so the one performance that's being singled out is Octavia over Janelle Monet. What do you think about that? I guess her, her character has a little bit more weight and a little bit more um, growth. Uh, I haven't seen the end. I feel like something happens with her boyfriend that I should know about that maybe changes what I'm what I think. <laughs> well, you know, I think that watching it a second time, Octavia does kind of have, you know, she has scenes like when she's at the library. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has a she she kind of has she she gets to play a lot of different. She plays a lot more tension in her part. I think is mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Janelle Monet, it just blazes through the screen with such confidence in this role and that's the mm-hmm. character yeah it is um she's younger yeah she's she's just yeah she's just cocky swag like she is owning every second of her life and everything around her in this movie and that's i think why i thought it was gonna get singled out because it's such like a kind of a star is born type performance you can't mm-hmm. take your eyes off of her yeah and she does have one you know tremendous scene with the judge where she's asking for permission to go to that a, is really a whites only school knock knocks it out of the park it's um, funny because I feel like she 
So she'd already been working at NASA for a while when she wants to go back to school to be an engineer. So she would be around the same age as the sun in fences. Mm, mm-hmm. Two different worlds yeah. apart. Worlds, worlds apart. apart. Worlds apart. Interesting. So, uh, so yeah, great performances. Uh, tremendous original score. Um, original songs, mostly mm-hmm. by Pharrell. Um, there's a. <laughs> he really knows how to write a song that plays in the background while a woman runs back and forth between buildings to pee. <laughs> I'll say that for him. He's got always, the gift. Uh, that's such a great uh, way you were saying the subtle ways that you show racism. Like, mm-hmm. how can you get ahead when you have to do so much more to do the basic things? And like, right. that was so not at all apparent because no one had thought of it mm-hmm. uh, until it became, until it came to to light in the office. Yes. Um, in in a, in a great scene where she just kind of lays it all out for in front of everybody for everybody why mm-hmm. she has been late, and it's right. because she's had to run a, what half a mile to use the restroom, right? And just kind of lays the whole situation down for the for the whole office yes. in what was a, a really yes. powerful scene. And Kevin Costner plays the boss mm-hmm. in a, you know, in a nice, you know, it's a sympathetic white performance in the movie. It is. Um, but I, it doesn't make it about him. And no. he doesn't really, like, save the day. Yeah, um, You know, like, he, he, he helps out along the way. Um, but he isn't ultimately, doesn't he doesn't, like... It's not a, like a white savior situation, which no, is... No, I didn't think it, it focused on him enough to make it... No. To make it that. Yeah. If anything, I felt like it was... it was You're in a situation where everyone is like driven to get something done and what's... And you're like math-minded. It's so like, what's the most efficient mm-hmm. way to fix things? Not so much like Deal compassion. Deal with that with Scott all the time. Which <laughs> is like, what's the, the fastest way to get to our goal? And our goal mm-hmm. is that these people are the most qualified. How do we get them working as much as possible? Exactly. Oh, we should mention that Janelle Monet was not your only crush in this movie. Who but else? There was also a little actor named Glenn Powell playing the role of John Glenn. <laughs> Ooh, oh, Rebecca wow. had the all-over hots for Glenn Powell. He was very who, cute as John whom, Glenn. Whom you Scream Queens viewers uh, will know better uh, as Emma Roberts' boyfriend, uh, Chad Radwell. Um, and he is... Cute as the Dickens. Really? Um, but, uh, but I remember at one point in the movie, you were like, I hope the point of this movie is just to think about how cute John Glenn is. <laughs> These women work so hard so that yes. I know how cute John Glenn was exactly. when he was a kid. Yes, it considerably undermined um, Rebecca's, <laughs> um, um, the gravitas of the of the movie. Because she was just 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 wolf whistling at uh, John Glenn the whole time. It was very, I mean, very disrespectful. I mean, there's a scene where he shares with Janelle Monet, and I was just... Oh, yeah. That was... yeah and Beyond. Then I, and then I showed her a picture of him in a shower with John Stamos from Scream Queens. Who is my all-time <laughs> ultimate man crush, John Stamos. So then I just I was not her. prepared. She was not. We had had wine. It was, a, <laughs> it was during the binge holiday party. Yes. Yeah, guys. And you'll get to hear the fruit of that next week. <laughs> um, so it's getting a binge it. Yeah, Go it's getting see it this a binge weekend. It, you know? Apparently, it's good to see with your family yes. over the holidays. Uh, I should say so. You know, I mean... And, and just to kind of bring it back to the point I was starting with, I just think it's, it's a great because it's a story that's so important and it wraps it up in a totally, totally accessible package. And I'm willing to over I'm willing to be like, this is the kind of story where it, it makes sense to do that. Mm-hmm. Just does. make it just be so palatable that like anybody anywhere can just sit down and watch this movie and be entertained and 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 enjoy it. And, and it just kind of seeps in mm-hmm. the message of the movie. Yeah. I um, wanted to play in schools. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I'm glad it'll be out there. I'm glad that it yeah. isn't, it's P, it's PG, uh, yeah, thematic it's, elements in some language, but that's great. I mean, kids, yeah. little girls should be seeing exactly. this. Exactly. I mean, like, boys you know, should be the seeing focus this. on getting girls involved in STEM. This movie mm-hmm. is a, is, is a fucking supernova for that. Uh, and it is also out now. Yes. Um, so check that one out. Binge approved. 
Movie number three, Jason. Um, a movie. movie with a title that you don't know anything about. Silence. <laughs> cracking yourself up. In the 17th century, two Jesuit priests face violence and persecution when they travel to Japan to locate their mentor and propagate Catholicism. Our Lord said to them, Go ye into the whole world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Ferreira is lost to us. He denounced God in public and surrendered the faith. That's not possible. Father Ferreira risked his life to spread our faith all over Japan. It seems to me that our mission here is more urgent than ever. We must go find Father Ferreira. This is in your hearts, then, both of you? Yes. Then I must trust God has put it down. The moment you set foot in that country, you step into high danger. So, alternate title, Finding Father Ferreira. <laughs> Ultimately deemed too cutesy uh, for the kind of movie this was. So, uh, Rebecca and I were sitting here a moment ago talking about how we weren't really sure what we were going to say about this one. Yeah, it's long. It's long, it is that. It's long and it's silent. Uh, so, this is a passion project that Scorsese has been wanting to make for a long time. And, um, you know, I guess he came across the book when he was in Japan shooting dreams for mm-hmm. Akira Kurosawa. And, um, you know, and he was very moved by it. And the story itself, if you look, if you stand far enough back from this, the story is kind of interesting. This idea of, like, how does one become, like, an apostate? Mm-hmm. Like, how did these these men who went to Japan as missionaries but became apostates that were employed by, like, the local government to... Um, basically uh, kind of weaponize them against incoming missionaries. Mm -hmm. Um, That's fascinating. But the movie takes a a very long, long, tortuous road um, to really show you every step of how one person has that happen to them. Yeah. I would I would agree that the the most interesting part of the film is like the last yeah. half, if not the last uh, third. Yeah, the last third, I'd say, yeah. Um, by far, yeah. far and away the most interesting. Yeah. Um, the benefits of the of the first third, first two thirds, would be how beautiful it is. Beautifully shot. Uh, it is beautifully shot. It is. It is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, the opening scene in particular. Um, the opening scene. Um, I left me feeling very optimistic about what was to come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was misplaced optimism. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a beautiful first scene um, yeah. and very startling first scene. I feel like this movie is best talked about in pieces. Mm. Um, just, I don't know. I, I would have a hard time kind of talking about it in whole. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of different parts, um, characters that are... Which isn't know, to say that it's a complex movie, I guess. I mean, or, No, no. It's just, I think it's the length thing. Yeah. it's a, It always is. Um, <laughs> which I can say with my deep voice. <laughs> Uh, you know, so we have Andrew Garfield here playing this missionary, Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. Adam Driver, it's, I feel like it's like, um, in Saturday Night Live when someone's known as one character and then they put that one character in all these weird situations. This is Adam Driver from Girls in (laughs) the 17th century Japan. It speaks to your references though, that that's the role for you and not Kylo Ren from Force Awakens. Because for a lot of people, they would see him and think Kylo Ren. Really? They're like, look, Kylo Ren's a monk. Um, I mean, I've seen all of Girls, and I've seen yes. the that science that science movie once. <laughs> and let me say, if you think Adam Driver looks weird now, 
<laughs> Wait till you see him when he's lost 50 pounds or so to play a starving man. Because, he... wow, do his features pop in unsettling ways. <laughs> Can you mat something there? Can you just, even it out? You just deal but with that, please. that same kind of, like, frustrated, like, anger boiling, right, temper just like, boiling. Right, yeah, you just, exactly. Yeah, he's just like, you know, kid, this is not going to work. Yeah, you're just going to keep waiting for him to just go full full scolding Adam on you. Exactly. Um, but uh, that that never happens. Uh, no. But uh, but so he's definitely supporting though. This is primarily Andrew Garfield's show, and um, and I think it's a you know it's a it's a it's a I want to say it's a great performance. I mean certainly physically, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot to it, um, and he goes through it, mm-hmm. um, and we mm-hmm. go through it with him. He's kind of like our surrogate on screen. We're just kind of holding on to him. Um, if it would if it was a bad performance, it would have been very obvious, yes. and it would have been completely unwatchable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that it was uh, watchable right. and uh, enjoyable to watch through yes. his eyes, um, I would say it's a good performance. Yes. So, so what we have here is we have the story about these two um, Portuguese Jesuit priests who, um, in the 17th century, who are sent to Japan, who are all too eager to go to Japan. I felt like I was immediately off put by how badly they wanted to go find their mentor. This uh, Father Ferreira. They right. were like... Chomping th- at the bit. Really? Like well, begging to go. You know, and I guess like that part... And this can get into kind of something that I want to talk about with this movie. That part, it wasn't as unsettling to me. Um, because like my background is in evangelical Christianity. And this is something that a lot of people are having a hard time with. Certainly people will say the heathens among us are having a really hard time with this part of the movie. Um, certainly the urban elites, if you will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the real America on this one. Mm-hmm. The urban elites are having a really hard time with this movie because um, it is about um, missionaries and it sides with the missionaries. And, um, and it makes you think very badly of Japan, um, I would say. Um, you know, we're, we're watching really some, you know, lots of sort of like acts of torture being carried out um, as the film goes on. And, um, and, you know, uh, and it's, it's kind of, um, so it's, it's not really, it's, it's not really challenging what the missionaries are there to do. Mm-hmm. It, uh, sort of, it sort of tacitly is on their side, if only because they're the protagonists of the sure. story. There's, uh, some of the more interesting parts of the movie, eventually he gets captured. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this long drawn out situation where by trying to make the, um, the missionaries apostate, they are hoping to sort of squash the the entire missionary objective mm-hmm. by saying that like these men, their faith isn't strong enough. It will it will calm you know because if they die at the hands and they become you know martyrs themselves, and that just makes the cause all the more great. So these really interesting dialogues between the governor of this I would say province mm-hmm. about Japan doesn't hate what you're doing. These things just don't mesh. And there's this they insistence. They were like, it doesn't, it doesn't work here. It doesn't work here. And they, I feel like they try reasoning uh, before it gets to the point of torture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I, I felt like that was some of the best acting in the movie. Um, the um, Isayo Gata. Isayo Gata does a fantastic job. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. And his way to sort of try to have a reasonable discussion about why this doesn't work and why this isn't good for Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say there's a sliver of reason, reason there. Um, but right. overall, it does side, side with the, the missionaries. Yes. And, um, and let me also explain why, as a missionary, you would just never accept that. You would never accept that as an answer. Because as a Christian missionary, your view is that the world is God's. That all the world is God's. And that all people are created by God. And so you would never, ever accept this idea of like, oh, well, this whole country, it just doesn't work here. That sounds like absolute nonsense to a missionary. That's because so you, crazy. Because you know that to be false. 
you're like, that's just not true. The entire world is God's and all people need to be redeemed to God through Jesus Christ. And so in your mind, when you're a missionary or you're any person who is evangelical in your Christian faith, the idea is that like for you to not try to convert people is actually the crime because without them hearing this message from you that through Jesus is the only path to God that they will burn in hell. And that's on you if you have the opportunity to do that and you don't. This is what drives it. Yeah, I mean. And so this is like the sort of, I think that so often, because when I got home from the movie and I started describing the story of it, the plot line to Scott, and he immediately started going in on like, oh, well, did it did it, did it talk about how they're colonialists? Mm-hmm, and to talk about mm-hmm. like, I'm like, well, no, it's not like, I'm like, they're not bad guys. I, I immediately started to kind of take it personally without realizing I was taking it personally. Um, because I was like, they're not villains. Like in their minds, like they're, they're being entirely, like they're dying for this stuff. Like they're being persecuted for it. And not because they're getting off in the persecution complex. It's because like, they're like, we are following the example of Jesus by testifying to the truth, even up to death. I mean, they're pawns in a, in a giant manipulation game that that and the end game is colonialism. Right. And but that's not what they're aware of. Right. right. Um, that's why they're pawns. Right. They're, right. they're brainwashed into thinking that right, what but, they're doing is for their own. Uh, they're sure. helping people, but, but they're if, actually pushing an agenda that. But if we were to finance and well, if we were to update that to today, um, as you did with fences, um, you know, that missionary work is not really so much about colonialism uh, now. Um, you know, at the time there was, you know, the massive, like, you know, just the work of like European colonialism going on. Um, now I would say it's less the case. And now it really is just at the heart of the missionary effort is this desire to do what you believe you've been called to do, which is to share this knowledge that without having people will perish. So like that is fundamentally what people believe mm-hmm. who are going and doing this work. And um, and I don't think that that makes them pawns in a larger i don't i don't i guess if you're if you want to say that today that there's still some kind of obviously christianity is an institution Mm -hmm. and um and it can be used by governments and by cultures in certain ways but i guess i feel like in my experience of it that wasn't what i saw playing out i mean like this we're going to quickly come to the fact that we disagree strongly about religion and belief in general so i mean to me to even believe in in god and religion yourself is that you've been brainwashed so to, to feel like you need to go do that is is some incredibly insidious um problem so that maybe is, we should that is stark we this is a stark divide we very much disagree here my goodness um, what do you think does do you think this provides a strong historical background uh about you know the case the case of the missionaries and what they did and um i mean it's also it takes place in japan which is historically very closed doors um you know they're they're they have a very small piece mm-hmm. of the earth um and they've they they're all during this time have been you know europe got boats and they figured right. out how to get there and it, one after another um country tried to take advantage of or um you know came under the idea of peace and and that didn't work out came mm-hmm. under the idea of religion and then that didn't work out so a very protective right. um especially at this time so do you think this provides any historical... I, I felt it lacked a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I thought well, it would be a little bit more interesting if they're more about trading and, and things sure. like that. But, um, well, I think certainly, ahead. as has been pointed out in some critiques, it doesn't even talk about the fact of what's going on back in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't talk about crusades and the Inquisition. It doesn't talk about the fact that even in Japan, people are being executed for believing Christianity. Back in Europe, people are being executed for not believing Christianity. 
Um, so that's certainly some historical context that it leaves out. But I think that, that ultimately what fascinates Scorsese here is this sort of idea of just like this dark night of the soul, you know, spiritually, um, for this man who has his faith tested in the extreme. Because, you know, Scorsese is, I don't know if he still, you know, proclaims Catholicism, certainly has played with Catholicism in many of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, Last Temptation of Christ, not least among them. And um, and this movie even kind of throws a little bone um, to faith-based audiences in like its final shot, um, you know, to sort of make you feel like maybe all was not completely mm-hmm. lost. And, um, you know, so I think that that's really, this is just kind of like a, a meditation on faith um, and suffering. And which is very Catholic, um, you know, to <laughs> sort of just is, to yeah. conflate the two. And um, and I was watching it wondering if evangelical Christians would kind of, you know, if it would tickle their persecution complex fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it might. I think it might to an extent. I think it would be, it would definitely make them think like, what would I do? Uh, you know, what would I do if I was in a country and there was, the, you know, and then they were giving me this kind of objection. And there's some, there's some, you know, the era, people have talked about the arrogance of the missionaries in this movie because they don't bother learning the language, they don't really learn anything about the country, mm-hmm. and that's for sure. That, that's, any missionary today will tell you that you got to do that. Um, but, um, but then even there's um, some stuff they find out later in the game about certain misunderstandings of word meanings that change just mm-hmm, everything, mm-hmm. Yeah. just basic word definition. So, so, what, so all of which is to say, Take the whole family to see it. No, um, <laughs> I will say Fences is better for the whole family than Silences for your yeah, Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is this is such um, this is just it's 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 a passion project in both execution and also in the sense that it's a little indulgent. This is not mm-hmm, a movie that Scorsese mm-hmm. has made for everyone. This is a movie Scorsese has kind of made for himself, and um, he he did it. He made Silence, and um, and apparently, I mean, he he thinks it's very um, edifying because he was talking at the Q and A about how like. He he's made this long string of very morally dark movies. Sure. Um, and he's like, after every one, I'm just like, okay, next we're doing Silence. And, you know, Departed, oh, God, okay, next we got to do Silence. Oh, yeah. I think Wolf, especially... Wolf of Wall Street, oh, God, now we really have to do Silence. It seemed like it was coming from a personal struggle of feeling like you had put a lot of negativity into the world yeah, and, right. and then starting feeling the need to do something different. Right. Um, I think if you took someone who, who didn't know anything about movies and you show them Wolf of Wall Street and then you show them this and you would say, like, do you think this is the same? Oh my God! Wow. Anything is the same. Same writers, same directors, same. It would, it would, couldn't be further. Yeah, no, very, very, very different. Um, but the work of the same filmmaker, and uh, so that's, I guess, a testament. I mean, Scorsese, he's, he's, he's keeping it fresh. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I think more than any of his contemporaries um, from back in the day. You know, he's still vital. Yeah. Um, even though this one is not for all. Um, that's the thing I I think if if you are a non-believer it is very hard to empathize with the struggle of this movie mm -hmm. if your thought is like it's not actually that important if you step on this thing with Jesus' face on it like these are Mm -hmm. sort of weird like rules we set up and it doesn't make any sense it's it's a very long time to to try to empathize with uh, a belief that you don't have Mm -hmm. so if anything it becomes like almost more goofy to you (laughs) (laughs) So that's why you kept laughing. <laughs> this is a real, it's a real crack em up, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's not for everybody. I, I do, and there definitely were times in my life where I, I felt differently, and, and I think that it would have it would have held on a little bit a little bit stronger. But um, ultimately, it's just a real slog to get through. Yeah, a beautiful slog. A beautiful slog, but a slog nonetheless. It's open now in New York and LA, 
but it opens in San Francisco on January 6th. What are you going to give it? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say it is a... It's not a send it back. It's a, it's a consume. Um, you know, I, if you like to see movies that um, have strong performances, and are, it's really so beautiful. Uh, I feel like you don't see a lot of movies that show kind of rural Japan this way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's gorgeous. Lots of beach scenes. Oh, cat that beach. Whole, oh, yeah. There's a like whole cat beach, which is a big plus. <laughs> they, they talk about the scene in the Q&A where basically they emerge from the fog. It's really, it has like a 60s, like almost like a Kurosawa sort of yeah, feel to it, which is something you don't see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you love film, I would definitely give it a, a consume. If you don't, uh, then it's probably not for you. Yeah, I, I would also give it a consume in moderation. Um, it's just, yeah, it's challenging. It's a very challenging movie to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not give you much. It's really, yeah, it's like the movie itself is like a spiritual exercise. It is. Um, mm-hmm. So um, so if that's what you want, go to it. Um, and it is rated R for some disturbing, violent content. And that brings us to the last movie of the week. Uh, the, what did we call it? The Spoil That Shit movie of the week, <laughs> which is Passengers... A spacecraft traveling to a distant colony planet and transporting thousands of people has a malfunction at sleep chamber. As a result, a passenger is awakened 90 years early. Hello? Anybody here? Hello? Do you know what's going on? Nobody else is awake. I think something went wrong with the hibernation pods. We woke up too soon. 90 years too soon. This can't be happening. We have to go back to sleep. We can't. We love you! So, as we mentioned before, I did not get to see Passengers due to my illness. But Rebecca did go see it with the missus. I did. We did. Um, um, was it a worthwhile date movie? In the way where you're like, we got into a car accident together and we will have that thing that binds us. Uh, we can always talk back about our shared trauma. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you. So this movie has been one of the most anticipated movies of the holiday movie season. It's been anticipated for since it was announced because it has two, arguably the biggest movie stars in the entire world in it. Like mm-hmm. the number one male movie star, Chris Pratt. Number one female movie star, Jeffrey Lawrence. And it's directed by <laughs> Morton Tildum, who directed The Imitation Game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sci-fi romance epic. It has everything going for it. It has a lot of marketing books. A lot of marketing Advertisements bucks. everywhere. Yes. Um, but when I think when people started to see clips from it, right away, maybe they started to get the sense that it wasn't going to be a masterpiece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so... How early in the movie did you start to realize how bad it was going to be? So pretty early on, you're in the space. You're aware that you're in this spaceship that's going to a colony planet very far away. And to have a space movie where you have like no new look about it, it's like they recycled old Star Trek uh, scenery. Oh, God, really? It just, there's nothing fresh or new about space, which is crazy because it hasn't been done yet. You can literally look like anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, which is super disappointing off the bat. Okay. Um, and then I, I think that the real plot of this movie, I think when the word started to get out that things were a little dicey, mm-hmm. is when you realize that the plot that you've been sold is not actually correct. Ooh, what break, you're led to believe, yes. yeah, because this is we're in the spoiler section of the uh, of the show. So if you don't okay. want to hear a movie, 
hear about this movie if you plan on seeing um, it because yes so yeah so we'll say right now so you're going to give this you want to give it your are you going to give it a send it back i'm giving it a send it back with a vengeance oh my god okay well guys if you don't want to know what happens and passengers here is your cue to end this episode because Bye. we're about to dive into it Thank you for listening. You're led to believe that uh, this adorable couple are the only two people on this ship. And uh, it looks like these crazy kids make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they so, have to figure out tragedy and, on the ship. And, okay, so they're on the ship. And they got on the ship because they were passengers on it. And it woke them up early. Sort of. Uh, so everyone like, is asleep on the ship. The the distance between Earth and Earth Two or whatever it's mm-hmm. called, the homestead, uh, is so far that you have to, the the trip takes like 140 years. So you're put into these tanks mm-hmm. where you're put asleep um, in these preser- preservation pods, and you're supposed to sleep until the last four months of the trip when the crew wakes up, when you wake up, and you start adjusting, mm-hmm. and then you eventually get there, and then you help colonize this place. I see. Um, so what you're led to believe is that these two sort of wake up out of nowhere right. and have to uh-huh. figure it out. Well how, ma- well, how romantic, though. Just get to, like, romp around a spaceship where everyone else is Do you is know sleeping. what happens? No. You don't? No. I know nothing about this. I haven't read any of the reviews aside from just seeing the log lines that it's terrible. Uh, this is a very unique moment. I'm so excited I get to tell you what happens. Yeah. Well, have, have, we, have we firmly established what people think it is? Uh, so, sort so of they, a romantic so, movie, and it's um, the idea that they're needing to figure out how to get back to sleep. Or... So yeah, they're gonna maybe try to get back to sleep, and then at some point the disaster starts to tear the ship apart. Physical disaster. What is the disaster? Um, you, systems failures, um, oh. robot malfunctions. The ship is going to. So the thing we're worried about is that the ship is not going to make it to its destination. Right, and everyone's going to die. Mm-hmm. And so, can these two people figure out how to save everybody? Race right against time, uh-huh. ticking clock. And, you know, will they or won't they? I think they make it pretty clear in the trailers that they might. The only thing I know from the trailer is, is that J-Law goes swimming. Oh, right. In, in well, we'll get to that. Um, so what really happens, only he wakes up by accident. The, hmm. the, this spaceship encounters what looks like a meteor field um, and, some, and it kind of, you know, bumps a thing that bumps a thing. Mm-hmm. In science terms, I'm a scientist. <laughs> I'm a space scientist. You rewatched Gravity for this review, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I need the term like, I need, and I need, jargon. I need to get up to date on my thing bumping. <laughs> it's usually your specialty. Yes, thank you. Um, his pod gets knocked open. He's left by himself, by himself on this ship. He slowly starts to realize that he's by himself. So he's laying there naked way. in the pod. Oh, you do see him naked when he like goes into a shower for the first time. Now, it describe, starts off where describe he doesn't, the butt to me, please. Um, it looks like a, a man's butt. <laughs> <laughs> I would think. I don't know that I've ever seen a man's butt. Is it shapely? Um, it has shape. Mm. Kind of like two circles. Ooh. Attached to legs. Bubble butt. Uh, yeah. Probably. Yeah, I would muscle say it's bubble butt. butt. Yeah, it's more of a muscle butt. Oh, my God. Um. Gays, you know we need to be there opening day. It's already out. Gays, why are there not already pictures of this online? Get the goddamn pictures <laughs> in the theaters and get this online. I should have risked now. my cred and taken the a photo The only for thing you. we need from this movie are the screenshots of that ass. I try to do the thing like, as though you were there for you, where, no, you which went, is oh. go, <sighs> but I couldn't. I couldn't do it. <sighs> couldn't bring yourself to do so it. So it's kind of, I mean, the parts of it that are kind of funny, you know, he wakes up. He doesn't realize Morning he's the only one there. <laughs> God. Um, he takes a shower. He's like kind of ready to go. He's like trying to getting, getting ready to socialize with all these, you know, 5,000 other passengers. And he like shows up to his first day because he's people who have uh, been chosen uh, have different skills that are useful. And he's a mechanic, uh, which kind of gets stretched to engineer later on conveniently. Mm. But he's a mechanic. 
And he goes to like his first mechanic class thing mm-hmm. and, and the holograms are speaking to them as though it's a room full of people and he's the only one there. As in Jem and? As in Jem and the holograms, <sighs> except just one hologram. Unbuilt cameo. <laughs> so um, he's at that point starts to realize where is everybody else. Mm. He tries to send a message, it doesn't work. Um, so his only friend on the ship is this android played by Martin Sheen, who's a bartender ah. uh, and has a bit, bit a pretty advanced AI. Martin Sheen, huh? What's his name? Is it Michael Sheen? God damn it. <laughs> I was willing to accept that it was Martin Sheen. <laughs> no, it was Michael Sheen. I was like, President Bartlett. I'm like, Wesley Snipes. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, Wesley Snipes, the one and only. He looks more like a Wesley Snipes. Michael Sheen, who recently did you realize about he said he's going to quit acting to focus on fighting, uh... Trump stuff. Oh, he did? He was just in Nocturnal Animals, wasn't he? He's in everything. Okay, we need to get to the point of this. Working. Okay. <laughs> okay, so he, he has one friend. He's starting yes. to lose his mind. He stopped shaving. You know, all of the telltale signs that a man's losing his mind. He doesn't cut his hair. He starts shaving. He's been. Tr- he's trying to do everything he can to get into these crew quarters so he can wake somebody up. Finally, he gets kind of at the brink. He's about to just go step out into space and, and end it all. And then he sees a woman in a pod who he thinks is beautiful. Oh, Lord. Okay, first of all, how long in the movie is this? Well, uh... One year in their time, about 30 minutes into the movie. So the first half hour of the movie is just Chris Pratt mugging. Yeah, pretty much. I'll take it. Um, so at this point, he becomes obsessed with this passenger, uh, played by Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Which is creepy. Uh, yeah, she is just just laying there in a pod. Basically dead. Basically dead, barely clothed. And before they go onto the ship, they kind of record a little bio about themselves. They're interviewed some questions. He finds out who she is. And she tells a charming story about scratching her butt and desecrating a sacred spot. <laughs> In Hawaii? Yes. <laughs> He's like, oh, she's... He can't help himself. She That's the one like for a, me. She's a riot. <laughs> so she, um, she's a writer and she, uh, she looks, you know, cute as can be in these interviews, uh, but doesn't really say much about much, but he develops a crush. And for months, he goes and sits by her. He has breakfast while reading her, watching her interviews and sitting next to her, uh, basically barely alive body. That's so gross and weird. Eventually, he figures out he has a pod handbook, and he knows that he can open up the pod if he wants to. So he kind of goes through this little bit of a wrestling of what should he do. He talks to his friend, Michael Sheen, who is an android. Right. uh, Unable to provide any actual, you know, human advice. Just like all androids. He gets drunk, and he does it. He opens her pod. While he's drunk? While he's drunk. Oh, my God. So he immediately feels guilty, but not guilty enough to tell her. He stumbles upon her the next day. She's confused. She wakes up. She's scared. In this act, he has killed her. They're 90 years away from their destination. They were they will die on this ship. He knows they can't get back in their pods. He woke her up to be with her. She is kidnapped. Wait, He's killed her. So by you mean he has killed her, you mean that she will not she she will not live another 90 years. And the actual 90 human years are going to go by, which means... While they're in this thing together. So they're they're both doomed to be dead by the time they arrive at the destination because they're aging in normal human years, and that's 90 human years away. Exactly. And so did he... So he opened up her pod. Does that wake her up automatically? Yes. Okay, so you don't, he doesn't have to, like, poke her. No, no, no. It, it's not it, like he doesn't, Once like, the pot opens, it, like, injects a, you with adrenaline, and okay. it, like, um, skits you up, and you... He's not sitting there with, like, a feather tickling under her nose. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he does it through microchips or whatever, like, oh. some card thing. Things um, bumping things. So the it, whatever romantic premise of this right. thing is, is taken, he has selfishly, literally murdered a woman. Yes, to be his space play toy, space bride. Um, she literally only exists for him. He was going to die. Mm-hmm. He was going to kill himself. He said, "No, you know what? Instead of killing myself, I'm going to wake her up and and take this take this woman down with right, me." Right, right. Um, so at that point, it becomes 
pretty disgusting. Uh, he doesn't tell her what's about up. about male entitlement. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't be more clear. Mm. Uh, he then spends the next year trying to woo her, at which point it's supposed to become this like cute... Uh, flirtatious relationship where he does these little things to like get her to he like makes these little robots to get her to like him now how much is this like Wally oh there's a robot that's kind of like Wally but it only has one scene I mean like the way that Wally courts Eve because right now when you because even when Eve shuts down I'm picturing that those scenes whenever because uh, you know like Wally kind of like I'm like looking to Wally in the I, corner there, I'm like there's a stuffed Wally in the corner yes there is um, you know because like when Eve gets the plant and shuts down and then mm-hmm. Wally's like Eve but they've already at least gotten to know each other at that point mm-hmm, and then she mm-hmm. shuts down and so he just kind of like you know carries her around with a little umbrella over her when it's raining wow and... you really love Wally I love Wally a lot I mean that's fair that's what's um, so weird for someone who doesn't have feelings I know things things can make me feel things they just can't make me cry um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm getting a Wally vibe from some from from bits of this. He's trying to, um, trying to be the most precious, most amazing guy. And give her a little um, presence. Eventually, right? trying to make her the rest of her now ruined, pointless life worth it. Right. So by she... being just super adorable, which I'm not saying is the worst way to go, just to have you alone with Chris Pratt while he like does adorable things for you. I mean, I mean I'm not saying like, who knows her life could have sucked when she got to Earth Two to the homestead. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Stop right now. So I'm just bringing I'm just bringing a straight woman slash gay man perspective to this. She, I mean, at this point, he's manipulating her beyond what we imagine. Right? He he's making her think that he is innocent. He's also stuck like her, and she's genuinely falling uh, for him. So that's the thing. That's the reveal. That's going to be like the you know. Wait a minute. He's about to ask her to marry him, which mm-hmm. means nothing. <coughs> Literally um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> his robot friend he thinks that, that she he has told her already, and he tells her that she that he woke her up. Ah, uh, Michael Sheen spills the beans. He does. <laughs> so, kind of as this is happening, this little is pieces. Why I don't like androids. Little pieces of the ship are are kind of falling apart, which is also which is the only part that's like actually kind of funny. They're like robots falling from the sky oh. randomly, <laughs> which. It doesn't. It, it's do they, it's do they go unintentionally like, funny. Are they like? Oh! No, it's just like. Ksh. No. So, um, so she is furious, mm. and Anger, then angry Jayla. law. Yeah, I mean, at one point she is that when she goes swimming. Runs. She swims kind of periodically through the movie. In what is there's also male gaze everywhere. That is mm. not oh, the one swimsuit you would wear for a uh, swimming swimming pool. Not like a. Uh, a, a casual pool like an exercise pool <laughs> she ha- like she every shot of her is like gratuitous ass and and chest like she it's terrible um this movie h- hates women more than than i can think of a movie that we've seen oh recently wow um so she gets upset he tries everything he takes over the the sound system of the entire spaceship to try to get her to apologize or to apologize to her and try to get her get her back which how could you be more insistent to someone you have woken up to spend time with you then lie to now you're you're inundating them with all of these fucking mouth to make her fall in love so then somebody else wakes up lawrence fishburne who magically is already basically dead. He's dying when he wakes up. Uh-huh. And, but he's like an engineer on the ship. So he has a, a badge with special privileges and can help them figure out what, as the ship is falling apart. Well, so he basically, he also exists is only he... to progress them into helping fix the ship. Does he officiate their wedding? <laughs> he should. But he gives J-Law this, this, she's like, did he tell you what happened? Did he tell you what he did? 
can you do something? Like she's expecting some kind of, um, I don't know, him to like miracle fix, pull like yeah, police the situation. But he's like, you know, when a man's drowning, he takes somebody else down with him. Oh my god! So she is literally has zero allies at, on this situation. So the ship then is so really the men stick together. Yeah, exactly. Then he dies. Lawrence Fishburne dies because mm. he only gets a half an hour tops of screen time. Right. Um, in a very magical. And, and even though he joined the story so far in progress, it's still the black guy who dies first. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, the ship is really, really falling apart at this point. The systems are, are all falling apart and it's about to explode. Um, and at, at this point, Chris Pratt tries to, you know, you, he becomes all of a sudden someone who's just a fucking mechanic becomes like a spaceship engineer that can figure out how to do everything. It's called Grace Under Fire. Where she literally goes to touch one thing and like burns herself <laughs> so badly. <laughs> she is so incompetent. It is. <laughs> he has figured out how to make a heat shield out of a door. She pulls one lever and she burns her hand. Cannot do anything. And then she's just crying in bed the rest of that sequence. She spends a lot of time just kind of like... Swimming. Crying and like... Ah, ah, okay. Like just running around with her hands in the air, not knowing what to do. Takes a few stress swims. The the dialogue here is so cheesy. It's just a bunch of like you know, like one-liners about gotta get it done. She falls back in love with him because he's about to drive trying oh, to save Lord. the ship. She, because he displayed his virility to her. Exactly. Yes, uh, and that apparently... prowess. She wants him back. She says, don't go out there. Don't die. Don't leave me. Oh, um, no. And, and he's like, I just got her done. They, uh, He ends up fixing the ship. And they live. People end up waking up, what, like probably 100 years later. And they see that what they have also done in a um, show of uh, lack of respect for anybody else on the ship. They've taken all of the like plants and animals that had been in storage to take to the new place to colonize. Right. And just planted them right in the spaceship. Oh, my God. What a couple of assholes. They deserve each other. <laughs> Wow. Uh, this movie, as a woman, is... I I don't even know what the takeaway would be. Because uh, is... it's not clear Oof. that what he did was wrong. He gets right. the, the girl film, in. The she film doesn't them. think that what he did... The film does not seem to think that what he did was wrong. No. It's kind of on his side. Like, oh, well, he's a sad puppy dog Chris Pratt. And the he fact that the... he is sad puppy dog Chris Pratt is the only... If anybody else would have been in this movie, yeah. it would have been disgusting like, and it is like, disgusting but it's like sort of passable like, because he is so hapless think about it starring peter sarsgaard <laughs> the sarsgaard test you, this follows the sarsgaard yes. test if your character you, can't do it you were just so beautiful i just had to let you out <laughs> played by sarsgaard then it, it's not a good a character with paul giamatti <laughs> god i could easily he is that character uh, would have been oh so terrible. God. Yeah, Chris. It, it, so yeah. So how to let's see on a scale of one to ten, what does the star power of Chris Pratt and Jeffrey Lawrence do to make this watchable? Two. Oof. She's a mess. Is she not good? She's not good. Oh no. She's not good at all. Um, what do you think's the deal there? Like she just like she was like this is not a character. I feel like they could have had good chemistry if the movie wasn't so. They don't even have good chemistry. Terrible. Um. It's. That, I feel like that was that was sellable. I mean, I I think they'd make they'd make a great rom com together. This right. this situation is just ludicrous. It's not. It's you can't look past it. You it should have been like a it. chillier actress, like an Emily Blunt type. No. 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 You're like the story shouldn't have been made. Were you not getting? Yeah, like there's no <laughs> the amount movie of should not have been made. They did the best they could with 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 having Chris Pratt in it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, the, the I feel like if she was chillier, then it would have been 
maybe felt even more justified in like I know no. right that you've been more of an object yeah because you've been less warm flesh right. and blood yeah I mean like the idea that this is, entire movie is about like how men can just sort of claim women as their like helpmates mm-hmm. and be like I choose you and I will ruin your life yep I mean I guess at Literally. least it, at least it's a straightforward allegory about men ruining women's lives yeah um, and then yeah. gradually giving them Stockholm Syndrome where they think that they sure and like need them this could have been a really complex and interesting if it would have ended it, with yeah anything other than he ended up winning you know and who's this i'm sure that like i mean this is such a massive fucking tent pole for i, I want to say sony i think it's sony's yeah i think it's sony's um like god knows how many rewrites this went through maybe the first draft of this was actually a really like clever kind of like battle of sexes sci-fi allegory mm-hmm. um but i mean like it sounds like it probably got a lot of notes. It's two movies, and and they don't work together. One is the the romantic the romantic movie about these two having to figure it out, mm-hmm. and one is the twisted, dark. What does a man do in the time of desperation? Right. Um. And trying to make them work together is tragic. This movie couldn't be further from hidden figures in terms of like what women can do and and how useful they are in the world. Wow. Um. Please don't go see this. Wow. Please don't go give this movie any money. Each of our movies this week is so different from all the other movies this week. <laughs> really distinct. Four distinct films this week. Uh, well, uh, that, as you mentioned, send it back with a vengeance. With possibly a vengeance. your most aggressive, forceful send it back since maybe 13 hours. Yeah. I mean, I what's, feel what's like worse? 13 hours made sense at least. Oh, wow. This is, I see it for free sometime. Oof. You so need to know how terrible. Do we need to go is. and re-record a new segment for our worst movies? Uh, we didn't, we didn't do a worst movies on our on our year in review. But, we, didn't. we didn't. So would this have been number one with a bullet for you? Um, yes. Yeah. Wow. This doesn't need to exist. This is terrible. It's so much like I never would have thought it was going to be that bad. Absolutely not. I was like Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence wouldn't be involved if it was going to be that mm-hmm. terrible. I mean, I wonder if this would be like damaging for their brands. It could. I mean, probably. Well, I don't know. I think it's already not doing super well. Like, I think it came out, guys, as we're taping this, we're taping it on Wednesday. And I think it came out last night at midnight. And, like, I think it's already, like, it's not doing as well as, like, Sing. I think that people, I mean, people who are going to see a movie because she's in it or because right. he's in it are going to see it either way. Right. Um, and people who read reviews um, aren't, right. probably are not going to see it. Um, right. And, if, I mean, by all means, guys, if you need to see, like, an A-list Hollywood couple make eyes at each other, go see La La Land. Yeah, uh, instead absolutely. Instead of seeing this one. Absolutely. Um, wow. I mean, there have been a lot of conversations. One movie we'll talk about next week is Collateral Beauty. Um, a lot of conversations about which of these two movies with terrible morals like mm-hmm. are more feasible or more forgivable. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. Hard uh, to say. Hard to say. This holiday season has some real tragedies to bring family to. <laughs> well, as appropriate for 2016. Yeah, I guess so. So that's it. That's it. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, be sure to subscribe to the show. Leave a review if you have a minute. Um, and you can find us on Twitter. I am at Fight Balance. Jason is Excess Faggage. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.